0: the fifth week of doing Rats in the House podcast. Check out our SoundCloud archive for old episodes featuring interviews with Bayliss, Cam, and the Mackenzie Bros. Today's session is all about partnerships. The boys will do a little isolation check-in before going full tilt into a discussion about the best duos in sports history. Then we'll turn to a classy interview with Team Canada's own dynamic duo of Fred Lamb and Jackie Howe. Glad to have you on board for episode five. Enjoy.
1: Baby,
2: Welcome to the fifth episode of the Rats in the House podcast. As usual, we'll dive into any news and a little quarantine check-in. And in honor of the last dance documentary that's come out, we have a feature discussion about the dynamic duos in sports. Then we're going to throw to an interview of our very own dynamic duo of Fred Lamb and Jackie Howe, the old fracky combo. Kev, why don't you uh, get us started here?
0: Yeah, I did. Um... Yeah, looking forward to that interview. Uh, such a treat to catch up with those boys. Um, yeah, it's been you know what honestly it's been an okay week. It's it's we've got some rain and sort of more dismal weather in uh, in town this week. So I don't know. It just feels like the moods have kind of dipped, and uh, yours truly is no exception. I was just kind of like lazy and felt pretty unproductive all week. But uh, yeah, it's supposed to be okay for the next couple of days, and then probably some more rain. So we'll just have to see. But uh, yeah, in the in the ultimate world, um, nothing really to update. Um, it's just another, it just keeps being the slew of postponements and pushing and it's, everyone's just responding to the, um, you know, health authorities. And, uh, yeah, I have to actually mention, uh, last week I said that CSC has been canceled and we just motored on with that. Uh, but it actually isn't, it's the qualification series that's been canceled. But, uh, like we talked about before the recording Thompson, it's, you know, a, a hard time, imagining that they run anything similar to what we've seen before
2: yeah it's having said that having talked about it being canceled i I won't we've got our discussion out of the way for when they do cancel it in a few weeks probably so um in all likelihood that's coming down the line but not officially yet so if you want to hold out hope for it be my guest but i'm going to be a pessimist in this in this discussion here and thinking it's not coming uh, but you said there might be an update coming uh, for us shortly?
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as my inside sources in the biz say, um WFDF might be pushing out something before June just, just to like satiate people a little bit, keep people informed, let them know so they stop asking questions. I don't, now, I don't know what any, the announcement is looking like it will be, but um, it just... I mean, it's about time. I think the sooner the better. I think everyone has questions about whether or not this event's even going to happen, and um, obviously we all hope that it does happen in some form or another. Um, so hopefully they can send us out something. But but another news, Thompson. It's Callahan season. <laughs> and yes,
2: even though is. there's
0: no, even though there's no uh, no college ultimate to be had, that doesn't stop there from being uh, a shortage of Callahan videos, and perhaps a little overwhelming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's so many like every day there's like three more posted online, people you've never heard of. I mean power to them, but like what are they there's no season.
0: yeah, honestly, there's such a there's such a wide variety. I know we were talking about this before, but some videos are are really really good and some are really, really bad. And I also find some players are are actually pretty bad, even though some are really good. Like some, it's like you see a player that's been playing in its club division, club men's division, club women's division for two or three seasons already, and they're getting the Callahan nod, and you're like, all right, this is going to be a dope video just because you already know they're going to have a ton of highlights. But when you see like Middle Tennessee bees nominee, you're just like, oh, my God.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, that's my beef with the Callahan videos is like, Production value has such an effect on the quality of the video that like, you know, if if, uh, if our boy Nate out there made all the videos, they would all be sick and those people would probably seem like they are the best players in the world. But like, you know, scrub from Tennessee University puts together a video on his iPhone Uh, with iMovie as the editor and and throws on like a a free track he pulled off the internet that's just like some techno beat it's not going to be good and like he could be the sickest player or he or she could be the sickest player but like people are going to diss the video because the production like it's such a weird way to like nominate people when it's a uh, self-produced video that you're putting forth to kind of get the popular opinion on your side and get like to get the internet for all intents and purposes on your side yeah it's like how is this the actual like i'm i know probably whoever actually makes awards the award doesn't go through them and pick it that way but like you hope not at least but like it's such a weird way of like giving out what should be a like a huge award
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned that and this isn't really even supposed to be weaseling its way into our discussion but the era of the video nomination kind of started at the end of like the late two thousands into the early like 2010s 11s and that kind of the like nick lance dylan freechild era that was the sort of beginning of the dope videos i remember um yeah it is so interesting i remember this is a quote from the the founder rob beryl from uh, ulti village he said he claims because he posted clips of the day now this is a bit of a throwback for anyone who's you know sub 25 they'll 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 have no idea what we're talking about but he used ulti ulti village used to put out clip of the days and it was just like Kurt and Brody and Tim Garrett back in their Florida days. But, uh, he claims that his video of Joe Kirshner who won in like 07 or 08. He, his like video production of Joe Kirshner for Callahan was like the first ever Callahan. But he claims that he won him the award. Cause Joey <laughs> Kirshner was like pretty medium, played for Arizona they were pretty whack and he won the Callahan and, and, and then it just spurred on like, I mean, Nick Lance won it in, in 2011, and he's from Georgia Tech, and they were like passable at best. I mean, they were, I mean, I shouldn't say that. They were like a nationals level team, but barely. Yeah. And he just had an absolute stunning video, and, you know, he won the award. That's uh, so weird.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I've, Nick. Nick's a good player, Nick Lance. So, uh, but for like, sure. for sure. Yeah. I, I think we got to, like, calm down with the videos maybe they need some sort of like electoral process before you're allowed to like release a video so like you know (laughs) here's the five nominees for the season and you guys can put out your callahan videos everyone else just just go home like you're not winning the award right
0: i wonder i feel like ulti world is just like all right I mean there's hundreds of videos coming out and we can share every single one and get at, at the minimum 500 clicks. clicks and yeah. and there's no ultimate to be had and so this year it almost feels like it's more than ever cuz everyone's just sitting on the computer editing video and ultiworld is just re-upping everything so
2: Yeah it, it's I guess funny. it is more commentary on the times right now that all these people are making videos cuz yeah. what else are you going to do with your time so
0: Yeah and if you watch one you're yeah. like you're like oh all right this is pretty cool then you watch another and you're like okay and then by like the third one or the third day you're like okay well i'm kind of out i'm out on these now
2: (laughs) yeah it's too much it's too much it's like the nominations on instagram it's like it's too much you know believe
0: me we're we're just living that life we don't i don't even the ones i've seen i've screen capped you a few over the week like come on i'm just it's just so rattling
2: I think you, you sent me one like after we recorded last week's podcast and we were chatting about it and going off. You sent me one like the next day and just be like, Come on, like Yeah. As if this is one right now. I can't even remember what it was. Oh, it was brutal though.
0: Yeah, it was brutal. Yo, so yeah, I've been I've been uh hitting the TV pretty hard lately, and obviously we're gonna talk a little bit about the last dance in a few minutes. Um, but I've been hitting movies kind of like we talked about before, but I've also been uh hitting a childhood well a teenage favorite TV show of mine that's scrubs i don't know if you watch scrubs at all in the sort of like 2008 or 2007 to 2011 period
2: have i watched scrubs kevin this oh, is what the one let's asks. go okay i am a big scrubs fan it's been forever since i've watched it but <laughs> i must have watched it like two or three times in university like the yes. whole series just let's three. go my sister made me like DVDs, like when DVD burning was a thing. She like made me the DVDs of like all the Scrub seasons. So like at university in my first two years when I was at McMaster, um, I would just like that's like basically all I watched. Is like yeah. before the Netflix time, before stream, like all that. So like you kind of had to have the content you wanted to watch. That was kind of around downloading time, so you could download, but yeah. download speeds weren't that I had fast. The files. So just having the having the disc was like so easy, and I, I would just watch Scrubs like, yeah. man jd and turk those are my boys right there yeah that's a classic
0: like, a classic bromance yeah. classic tv bromance Spe- speaking
2: of bromances jd and turk are the best it's like, so funny
0: yeah oh just my the God. rapport
2: they have and i love that show that like it's a serious show and it has some like really like you know good themes and stuff and then it cuts away to like all the fantasy things that JD's dreaming about and it's just like it's just so well done and like they have fun and Zach Braff's an idiot, and yeah. it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, so. it's been a good, It's I'm I'm absolutely murdering it right now. Like, I, I watched, yeah, probably two or three times in late high school and or university, but I haven't seen it probably since, like, 2012. And yeah. honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, like, I really like the show, but chunks of it don't age that well, and I guess that's probably the same for a lot of shows in that era that have, like, a ton of gay jokes. And, oh, absolutely. And it's, like, a yeah. lot of, like, like, sexist jokes as well and those don't really age that well but uh but i will say it's like it's, so, it's such a throwback it's so nostalgic it's like every time you see a girl that is gonna date you're like oh my gosh like i was just like it's like tara reed and mandy moore and i was like oh my gosh i forgot that you're in these like high school like yeah high school, like, sc-
2: like, yeah, school camp was just
0: yeah. like feeling so dope at that time so yeah
2: yeah, it's funny you mention that, like, shows not aging well. Like, I, I I watch a lot of How I Met Your Mother. That's kind of my, like, I can't sleep, I'll throw it on show. Right. Um, that and and community. And, and like, it's funny how poorly those shows of that, like, early 2000s have aged, like, really bad. Because, like, as, as you said, like, the gay jokes and the sexist jokes, like, that were so ubiquitous that we all said, like, innocuously at the time are just like we now know are no longer cool to say and like Mm -hmm. it's it's almost tough to watch those again where you're like oh like yeah you know like and you kind of remember being like man we all did this and we all thought it was okay and now we know that it's not and it's like very yeah can be very hurtful to people so
0: yeah it's it is interesting reflecting on that it's it's uh i mean the office is one of those where it's like such a smart show such a sort of era defining comedy sitcom but the first couple seasons (laughs) especially they are like almost cringeworthy at this point despite being very good still you know it's, it's yeah it's hard to say i mean i don't want to tiptoe into this into this discussion too much right now but uh yeah it's long story short i'm absolutely loving watching scrubs and i've been murdering it. i've watched three i've watched three or two and change seasons in like Ten days. I'm doing. I'm putting in some serious work.
2: Yeah. So uh, I actually haven't watched The Last Dance yet. That you, you said we we're gonna to speak about. I haven't watched the two newest episodes yet. Oh, I had to man. go do some grocery shopping Monday night when the, when the boys out here did the Netflix watch party again, and I just haven't haven't dropped in yet. So I'm still two episodes in. Uh, I've been chatting with people. Like, just no spoilers. But like, apparently they're good, and the and everyone's in love with Dennis Rodman right now. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I seen a few
2: things online about him.
0: We can just talk about the documentary a little bit as a whole. I mean, it's so it's really well done on. Obviously, it's <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a Netflix worthy documentary and the behind the scenes footage. That's the stuff that I'm just drooling over. It's the like Jordan and Pippin in the weight room. You know, when they're in their twenties, it's the college ball footage from Jordan. It's it's the like locker room stuff. It's the walk out to the to the court stuff. Those are incredible shots. That it just feels like they've had that film in a room for well, I don't know, thirty years, and yeah,
2: somebody kept it. Yeah. And
0: somebody kept it, and then they put it together. And, and I mean, terrific documentary filmmaking. It's it's really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's how you make a documentary, right? If you find old footage of of stuff of your subject and then you intercut it with current interviews and current footage and you make parallels and you tell the story you want to tell And they're telling a heck of a story. Like it's, it's, as you said, it's really well done. You know, it's interesting to hear them like talk back and like no one wants to talk poorly of themselves, Mm. but I feel like they kind of like, at least in the first two episodes, they kind of show people in like a bad light. Like MJ, like, he's a great player and it was fiercely competitive but he was kind of a dick to his teammates yeah and like you don't ever see that uh like on tv when you watch a game
0: no you just hear like stories. occasionally you see you see yeah. a guy
2: barking at his teammate and like you're like okay yeah they're gonna hash it out they'll be fine in the dressing room but then you see like mj at practice like just like yeah. ripping into his teammates and like what can they say it's mj he's yeah. the best like you can't if you start going against MJ, you're going to get your ass traded from a six-time championship winning team.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're so right? hard on Jerry Krause as well. That's one thing I didn't I, – I mean, I I, I don't know yeah. the story that well. I mean, again, I don't really come from a basketball background, and I'm learning it one day at a time. I know the very surface details, but just, okay. like, they're barking at him. They're sitting like, hey, Jerry, you want to come out and take some layups? We'll low, lower the basket for you. Like, <laughs> he's he so hard on him. It is so gnarly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, having, uh, speaking of the last dance and duos, why don't we get into our, our little feature piece here. Uh, Let's do it. We're going to run down some dynamic duos in the sporting world, have a little discussion. Uh, we're kind of going to go sport by sport um, and talk about some duos in history. Now, you know, Kevin and I, we don't have the, the greatest knowledge of all sports. We did a little research and we found some. Uh, but if you guys want to continue this discussion, we'd love to hear your favorite duo, or if we miss, and, and we probably will miss one that you think is the, one of the best, shout us out and call us right out. But uh, let's get into it. And why don't we just start with basketball because we're already on the subject. Yeah. And starting with basketball, there's only really one place to start right at the top, and that's MJ and Scottie Pippen. If you look up any dynamic duo list on the internet, this is like number one or number two across all sports, pretty much. Um, there's only really one stat I need to tell you, and that's six, uh, <laughs> and that's that's enough. Uh, six six titles together, uh, three peats twice. I think they did it. Yeah. Right. It was it was three, and then two years off, and then three more. Yeah. Or 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 some combination of that, and just like what a, what a what a career, and I think you can look at them and credit them with kind of pushing basketball into the mainstream um mj especially you know then he got the nike deals and all the the merchandising and bulls gears every everywhere in the world you go anywhere you'll see bulls stuff from that era that jordan era of basketball and watching the documentary you kind of see like basketball before jordan got in and all the footage they're showing and it doesn't seem that popular the stand like they were showing games with nobody in the stands right yeah i mean the like, bulls also
0: sucked right before he showed up yeah. But,
2: yeah but like to think of like a sp- any sporting event in chicago now like, with an empty stadium right it's true it's, it's like unheard of even if even a bad team even like the florida panthers in the nhl get like six seven thousand fans on you know sometimes <laughs> right so yeah mj and, and scotty pippen uh we'll hit up a few more quick ones here uh, in the basketball realm we got john stockton and carl malone 18 years together they played on the jazz quite the duo the only thing holding them back from like hitting that next level no titles yikes so, no titles then there's the uh the lakers combos we got two 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 duos a duo of duos from the lakers the biggest one and almost hitting that mj pippen level is Magic and Kareem, uh, five titles together. So kind of like a bit before the MJ times, but like they were probably the original. They were the original duo. I think you got to look at them as like the original duo. Um, Five titles is amazing in any sport. So yeah, Magic and Kareem. Then uh, more contemporary to us, what we'll know better, Kobe and Shaq kind of the quintessential duo, Kobe, uh, shooter, perimeter player, and then you had, like, kind of the biggest of big men, you know, under the rim, just doing his thing, kind of, like, and, like, no one had done it before, just with absolute size and power. Um, that was unheard of. I think one um, thing, and-
0: yeah, one, one thing that's interesting is when we look at duos probably across all the sports, we wind up looking at Thompson is, uh, how they sort of complement each other. You know, it's, it's, there's different ways of dynamic duos working their magic. Um, there's just the sort of prototypical two really good players that play a, wa- a long time together and get that reputation. Uh, then there's the other sort of side of the coin, which is one really good player and one sort of support piece that really like allows that, star player to rise and, and but plays that sort of um helper role that keeps them afloat mm-hmm. and then there's the just like complementary pieces the shooter and the the i mean d- it depends on the sport of course but the thrower and the catcher the passer and the shooter the the board man and the you know perimeter player it's just yeah it's interesting when you go through these also eras it kind of seems like all these guys depend you could line them up with their era and it just sort of passes the torch one at a time so it's, uh, yeah, it's cool to review yeah, these.
2: Yeah, and I think when you look at it, I mean, like, right now, like, in basketball, especially where we're mentioning championships, right, that's kind of, like, the defining stat, in, I think, in basketball because, like, you know, points is a bit of a harder thing to judge. It's a harder thing right. to judge, like, you know, you know, oh, he had, like, 30,000 points, like, whereas in like a scoring sport like hockey or or right you know football you can judge touchdowns you can judge goals you can judge assists but it's a bit harder with the basketball stats because they're just so huge um that they don't really line up but championships do and, and as you mentioned the eras it's like you have the different eras of passing the torch on to a different duo that took over the league and then this duo took over the league and then this duo took over the league yeah um,
0: it's very basketball, to be honest, for yeah. that sort of. So thing
2: another to another uh, basketball duo here. If we mention the Lakers, we also have to mention the Celtics, and of course Larry Bird and and his boy Kevin McHale. They threw down three titles as well. So those are the, kind of the big four, I would say, in title uh, contention there with MJ and Pippen, Magic and Kareem, Kobe, Shaq, Bird and McHale. Um, those are the the big kind of like of the past 20 years. And then moving forward to current times, now this one is like a duo of duos or more of a trifecta, but I think there's one guy in particular that is kind of the glue guy and that's Steph Curry. I'm gonna say Steph Curry and Clay or Steph Curry and Durant more recently. Now that's obviously over, but uh, Kevin, you mentioned this when we were chatting earlier that Curry and Clay they kind of ushered in the three point era that we're in right now of basketball and the, the splash bros as they are, <laughs> you know, just dropping the threes and just kind of re rein, not reinventing basketball, but like moving it from the era where we were, you really had to have the big men and now you can go small ball and just rain threes down and you have to have perimeter shooting now, or you will not yeah, be it's successful. In, in it's the funny. NBA. It's like,
0: yeah, it's, it, it almost goes against what I just said two minutes ago, because their 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 compliment is just shooting and shooting. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean it definitely as far as modern day duos goes, that's the one that sticks out. Um Curry and Clay for me is the probably the biggest one that, that sticks out because they just you know, if you watch, they kind of yeah, they just sort of redefined how you how you played and again i'm not a basketball expert by any means but even just as a casual viewer of the sport everyone knows uh steph curry and and clay thompson and and how they um yeah how they hit the three and, and and led their team so effectively over the last few years yeah
2: yeah it was like i mean for me personally like i'm a more recent basketball fan uh kind of like in the modern raptors era yeah, here shit, not, right? not just the last not well not just the last <laughs> season but the last few seasons as they were kind of on the up and up with Demar and Kyle another duo that we'll, I'll mention in a second but you know, so I've seen Curry and Clay and Durant dominate the league in the last few years and there's something about those Curry and Clay spe- spe- specifically when they just step over midcourt and just drain a three from so far away right in your face and there's nothing you can do it's just like you can see the other team getting demoralized and they can both do it. So you can't, like, if you go double Steph on the ball, he bounced it over to Clay, boom, he's going to drain the three from it So it's like, it became this weird thing where it was unguardable because you just kind of, like, had to accept it and hope that they were off that night. Um, finally, our last basketball one I want to mention, I gave a little hint earlier. Homer uh, one, for the Homer Toronto, pick here. Homer, the Homer pick here. <laughs> and this is just a straight bromance because they never won together uh, they did have some great seasons here in toronto but i gotta give a shout out to kyle and DeMar. Um continue to be boys we hear the news about them and and how happy Demar was for for kyle when the raptors did finally win you know he said he was a bit you know bittersweet because he wished he was a part of it but he was happy for his his buddy kyle to win uh so yeah had to had to shout out kyle and
0: Demar. Yeah, and of course uh, Mike Bibby and Big Country for doing for doing Homer <laughs> picks, <laughs> all time greatest basketball duo in Vancouver history. So in the in the Grizzlies' history. <laughs>
2: yeah. All right, so why don't we move on? We'll we'll do a little football chatter here now. Moving to football, it's a bit of a different game. Uh, it's not; it's more of a big team game than uh, it is like you know hockey and basketball where you have small units working together you can get a duo it's a bit harder to get a duo in football and really the only way is kind of the passer receiver way because that's really the only two interactions you have in a game that aren't like a strategic team thing um, however i'm not even going to start with a passer and a receiver We're going to go off the board here and we're going to start with a passer and a coach and that should be enough. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Um, probably the biggest dynamic duo in football history. Six Super Bowl titles. Uh, appeared in nine Super Bowls. Uh, here's Sheesh. a here's a wicked stat while I was, was doing some research here. Of Brady's 18 seasons as a starter, the Patriots have played in 50% of all Super Bowls <laughs> and have won 33% of Staggering. all Super Bowls. So that's just like unprecedented we're gonna find out this year uh, if it was Belichick or if it was Brady because Brady's now in, in Tampa if with another play. duo. With the the duo you could talk about with Brady is Brady and Gronk, uh, Gronk being Gronk, uh, huge tight end that Brady could hit whenever he wanted to. Um, but that's where we'll start with football. A couple other football ones we can mention. Yeah, I have a story uh, to top
0: in actually for the yeah, for the Patriots. To, uh this year we I was out or like I guess earlier in the year before the Super Bowl I was out and I was talking with one of my friends from high school. And I don't really chat with these guys as much anymore and I definitely you know. Anyway, we're having some uh a few beers and um this guy says like you know, I bet that Mahomes wins more than Brady and I was like, oh, What?" And then he's like, "Yeah." He's like, I think Mahomes is going to win more Super Bowls than Brady. And I was like, do you want to bet? And he was like, yeah, let's bet. And I was like, Well, right, let's do it. <laughs> and so I was like, I was just like, I don't think, I mean, six is so unbelievable. It just feels like that's not happening. It's and, so
2: tough in football. It's and like... I
0: know Mahomes is awesome. And I know he knocked one off this year, but it just felt so hard. And that just felt like such a good bet for me because he was just going to do it straight up. So we bet $200. <laughs> and i was like i was like all right And then when i got home that night i was like i was like sitting i was like drinking some water and having some snacks and i was like all right and i put a reminder in the next like three years worth of my calendar on my phone i was like i was like just double check it was like right around the super bowl time i was like double check the bet double check the bet and just keep reminding myself because i was like i'm gonna probably have to wait like 10 years before i cash that in or more easily i mean
2: you'll at least have to wait five more years because yeah it's gonna take them that long to win it it's just so hard to win a huge amount in football because you're there's so much changeover in teams such a physical sport that really like the changeover is more rapid than in other sports because of the physicality and the injuries and yeah so much can happen and that that's what makes the the brady belichick era so special is that like it it's not gonna ha- it's likely not to happen gonna happen again because it's just fucking impossible like yeah well, and to that's make 50% of yeah. the Super Bowls you've in the yeah, season, that's like,
0: outrageous
2: in a 32 team league. Like how did nobody, how did no team pop up that could challenge them in that time it's in their division, in the other conference? Like it's just bananas.
0: It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So I'll mention a couple more. One other really big one that's a little less heralded is the Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison combo. Um, so they did win one title together. Um, but uh, they kind of had this, like, long career together, 10 years together. Um, so starting in Manning's second season, Harrison recorded at least 82 catches, over 1,100 yards, and 10 touchdowns, eight straight seasons. So those are humongous numbers. Um, <laughs> like, and for just, for the length of that time. Uh so that's a combo that kind of kept the Colts uh, in it. Now they only won one title, and that was kind of the knock against them for a long time. Because and and they won it late in the, in Peyton's kind of tenure there right. with the Colts. So they were. It took them a while, but they eventually did win. And that kind of goes sort of saying about football: is that like you can have this great duo, but if you don't have the rest of the team with you, you you can't win. You just can't. And so. Yeah, a couple other ones. We won't get into too much about them. We mentioned Gronk and Brady. You could also mention Randy Moss and Brady. They had a couple great seasons together. <laughs> Brady and, and anyone. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple here on this list as we move forward, uh, and it's you know one person and anyone. So kind of like we mentioned Curry and and two guys. You know Brady and anyone, any receiver. You know Wes Welker, um, Julian Edelman. He's made a bunch of people look fantastic. Uh, and then the other one we'll want to mention. Uh, 49ers fame is montana and rice they have uh some incredible numbers together as well so yeah that kind of wraps up our football again not the biggest uh i don't have the biggest knowledge of football so if you guys have any other uh any ones that we didn't mention or or want to bring up hit us up um let's move on over to baseball another weird one here um it's really hard to have a good duo in baseball. And I was thinking of this, like, what makes a good baseball duo?
0: Yeah, like a three, like a three, four hitting combo or a pitching rotation, basically. A
2: pitching rotation. <laughs> I was like, man, could you have like a shortstop second baseman just turning like sick double plays like all day? Yeah, like,
0: yeah honestly, you probably could. But de- defense in are... baseball is just is so, is so so distributed.
2: Yeah, it's funny for a team sport. Baseball is very individual like a pitcher is just pitching like they're just doing their own thing the catcher has a bit of influence on them and the defense has a bit of influence on them but it's really them against the hitter and as a hitter it's it's just you like your team can't really help you hitting yeah unless they're getting on base and helping you get rbis and stuff like that but like it's such an individual sport but having said that having two players that are incredibly successful together can have a huge impact um so like the biggest one I found was, and this is, no one's going to have watched them play because they are long past, but Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, um, they formed the, the heart of the order in murderer's row for the Yankees. Um, uh, they won three world series titles together. Um, and they combined for 600 home <laughs> runs as teammates. Uh, that's nice. so that's, that's, a nice stats. that's a huge number. <laughs> And considering they, they didn't play, I think they played a decade together, maybe just under that. Um, that's a lot of home runs, uh, especially for uh, a long time ago. And the one cool thing I like about baseball stats and the, and the reason you can kind of, this is kind of outside of this discussion, but they kind of haven't changed too, too much. So like they got a bit inflated in the steroid era um, and they've, they've moved in and out. And they've had different eras, but they have not had the huge fluctuations that some other sports have had um, in in terms of things like that. So you can compare a player like Babe Ruth from the 20s, 30s, 40s to a modern player now and be like, this is where they stack up because they're hitting the same about the same number of home runs. You know, batting average hasn't changed in forever. Like the batting average record uh, is been alive and well for 40 years so it's like
0: yeah it is interesting it's one of those sports that the technological and athletic advancements just have us. St- I mean i think you could probably argue that the teams are probably deeper than ever and it's probably yeah. the same in almost every sport obviously but uh yeah it's one of those ones that the records aren't getting shattered um yeah, it's it's that is so, that is really interesting. I mean, the the technology. It's like the bats haven't changed that much. They're still using wooden wood, bats. They're still wood bats, yeah. And although they're probably sleeker and sexier than ever, they're they're they have regulations that they're not that different. And then obviously mm-hmm. this, I mean, the performance enhancing drugs era. It was, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you can uh, yeah, you can look at that as, as as an advancement, but it was against the rules. So um, yeah but yeah but that that's a really good point because it just seems like every other sport is getting so much faster and so much the the athletes are just so much more athletic and that is happening in baseball but it just has less of an impact on the statistical ebbs and flows of the game so yeah
2: yeah i mean hitters are getting stronger and they're hitting the ball farther maybe but pitchers are getting stronger and they're throwing the ball faster so it's harder to hit
0: right and dimensions kind of, of the like yeah dimensions of the field and the the dimensions of the pitcher's mound and the base pad that's all the same and that's been the same for like 75 years yeah and and any sort of minor adjustments yeah it's it just doesn't change that much
2: so a quick couple other baseball ones here we have two pitching duos that want to mention here tom glavin and greg maddox for the braves in the 90s So uh, any Blue Jays fans here will know that the main rival of the Blue Jays in the early 90s was the Atlanta Braves. Um, So Glavin and Maddox were kind of the heart of that rotation. Two very technical, excellent pitchers. Um, They did eventually win a title in 1995 for the Braves. So just after the Blue Jays and the strike. Um, So they got their championship. And then one other interesting one here. They only played together for a couple seasons, three seasons, uh, in Arizona, but Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, um, the big two unit. of the greatest, two of the greatest pitchers of all time. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring them up is because in 2001, when the Diamondbacks did win the world series, they were named as co-MVPs. So that's kind of an interesting, yeah, that's uh, epic duo combo when like, you're like, okay, you two pitchers, boom, you guys win co-MVPs. It doesn't happen very often, so... It's kind of, kind of a cool thing to bring up in uh, in baseball.
0: Yeah, and then Schilling w- went to Boston and won again. You know, and he was on that rotation with Pedro, and that was the bloody sock year in 04. The, Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's cool. I mean, he's obviously an all timer as well. So it's yeah. funny. Uh, you bring up the Diamondbacks win, such a weird win for that team. But I remember, uh I remember it was Halloween night and I was trick-or-treating. I mean, this is like my prime. I loved baseball years probably because especially like the nineties, I bought a Braves hat because, because of like Greg Maddox and, and I had a little, um, and I had a diamondbacks hat as well during this time. And, um, yeah, I just remember trick-or-treating and asking every few houses what the score was. And a lot of, cause I could hear the game on, or I could see it. And it was, I was just a, a fond memory. And yeah, those two guys obviously dominated the, dominated the mound um during that period of time so it's pretty pretty awesome
2: yeah yeah i i mean i remember watching that as well i think i was at home might have stayed home and watched the world series i was that was again is also my peak kind of baseball years i think i was probably still playing ball back then so um yeah those those guys have a, a fond memory the big unit especially
0: yeah uh, uh, he pitched in seattle for so long that i i like got to see him play live in the kingdome and we drive down watch
2: pigeons beware when when the big units on the mound (laughs)
0: yeah that's epic
2: (laughs) yeah all right uh so you know kevin and i are both big hockey guys so we're gonna save that to the end so uh you've probably been waiting for that discussion where we could go off on every single combo in hockey history but we're going to move into a few other just other sports here quickly um these these ones are not only are some great great duos here but uh, some funny ones here especially this first one here because they're <laughs> sort of a duo but not really but it's a funny story so uh michael phelps and ryan lochte <laughs> yeah not really a duo because they're swimming and they're the swimming is an individual sport now there are the relays and stuff like that but together for the u.s national team they have 23 golds over three games so not just medals gold medals 23 gold medals over three games so just massive numbers um yeah uh <laughs> I mean Michael
0: tarnished... Phelps yeah ryan lochte tarnished the reputation <laughs> with his dumbass <laughs> antics in rio but uh yeah yeah, we we were like i was trying to look that up it's like so it's so unclear what exactly happened if he was but he was definitely shit-faced and just partying in rio and peed on the side of a gas station and got fined (laughs) and he was just like i did not do that and then eventually he's like i did that
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah so swimming is a tough one um we got a soccer one here for any soccer fans out there there's probably a million different soccer ones we could pick. Um, again, I don't know uh, the soccer world as well as other sports. Um, but this one is is a good one. It's Xavi Hernandez and Andreas Iniesta, uh, the two Spanish nationals. Together, they have over 25 trophies for club and country uh, and they did win the 2010 World Cup together. Uh, with spain over the netherlands i remember uh actually that was my first ever night in europe kevin uh, i landed in paris uh actually it was supposed to be my second night. i had some travel delays and so crazy right. and i ended up landing in paris went to the hotel i was so tired after so like 30, 24s? yeah
0: yeah yeah like
2: 30 hours of like me getting over to like i got delayed in new york had to spend a night in new york city in a hotel but then get up at seven in the morning and right. catch my flight oh man just a disaster anyways finally get to paris dead tired go to the hotel and i just was like oh man it's the world cup final like i should go out and do something. and i was just like nah, i'm just gonna watch in the hotel room so i remember watching that world cup final in the hotel uh was kind of hoping the netherlands would win to be honest i don't no idea why i guess the big orange <laughs> jumpsuits that they all wear when they play was uh appealing to me at the time But, uh, yeah, Andres Iniesta and Xavi Hernandez, uh, huge careers together and, and, uh, you know, put up, put up some numbers. Um, moving on to uh, a few other, uh, some female athletes actually here, Kev, when you're looking at female athletes, uh, I was talking to you earlier about this. It's tough because, um, in the big major sports, uh, they, don't get any sort of publicity like the right. male versions do. Um, so the real combos aren't as as praised. Now having said that in individual sports they, they are plentiful uh, especially in in tennis. Um, and if we're speaking of tennis there's only really one one combo we can really talk about with any um, with the big numbers and mostly due to one one sister here. Uh, but that's serena and venus williams um serena might be one of the greatest athletes of all time when we yeah when we look back at at her Just career overly dominant the most grand slams of any individual tennis yeah so most grand Slams of any individual athlete um together serena and venus have 30 grand slams 23 of those being serena venus herself has seven which is no small feat Uh, together they did play doubles they have three olympic gold medals in in doubles so that's an awesome feat and 21 titles in doubles so the williams sisters i think are the biggest tennis duo of all time Uh, there are the Bryan brothers as well in the men's side Um, they have an absurd amount of doubles titles yeah but nowhere near the individual success as this the williams so they kind of don't get talked about as much but they dominated um men's doubles forever (laughs) right uh and then another uh
0: serena and venus are just so so iconic as well as they were just um they i mean serena especially just dominated the the women's game for for so many years and is still relevant it's un- i mean it's unbelievable okay. her like power and explosiveness and it just seems yeah i mean probably the greatest tennis player to ever play and and just and to have a sister kind of like a, a partner in crime uh, the whole way along even though it was sort of one one member of the of the duo was really that the star but I mean again seven grand slams and then three olympic golds and 21 grand slam doubles titles (laughs) It's a staggering numbers
2: yeah it's it's true domination and venus is no slouch of her own like she's going deep in tournaments and a lot of the times she would lose to serena so it's like you know it's like the only thing holding you back is you're losing to your your sister it's yeah it'd be interesting uh, to see
0: how many uh how many finals they played against each other in, or semi semis or finals i would like to see that yeah. no, see that number That'd be
2: a cool stat we'll uh we'll look it up uh a quick other tennis one here is martina navratilova and pam shriver um so again 21 grand slams with each winning the grand slam at least four times yeah uh, the duo even swept the majors double event in 1984 uh so they won wimbledon the french open the australian open and the u.s open all in the same year so the the, the uh year Dumb. grand slam that's I don't that's think amazing. that's ever happened uh again so that's a pretty that's a pretty cool style you have to bring that up when you're speaking about doubles tennis is the uh the single year slam um i i remember watching federer and hoping he could do it and he could just never win that french yeah he'd get well, the, the that, like, there was just too year... op on the on the clay so yeah he, he could never get that french he finally wanted to get the career slam but he could just never beat Nadal on the clay. Yeah. They're always close matches, but I wanted him to get the the single year slams so bad that in his heyday. Um, okay, I got one more here before we get to hockey. Uh, Misty May Trainer and Kerry Walsh Jennings. And a lot Misty of you May might be Carrie wondering. Misty May and
0: Kerry Walsh, throwback. Yeah. That's sick. <laughs> so a bit of a
2: throwback, but I was doing a little research for this episode. And uh, these two, if you don't know, are considered the best beach, beach volleyball team of all time. They won three straight Olympic gold medals and had just over 100, I think 109 straight wins uh, in that <laughs> Crispy uh, dubs. run. Uh, and they only dropped one set. In those three gold medal runs, I think, is the stat I read. So, overpowering, uh, pretty dominant team there. So, it's kind of, you kind of got to mention them when you're talking about duos and beach volleyball being a two person sport. It's the perfect duo sport. Um, So, that was kind of our other section there. If you guys, you know, want to bring up any other duos in sport, like we'd love to hear them. It's always fun to kind of have a little sport chatter. But uh, without further ado, Kev, why don't you? swing us into the old puck and stick here. Yeah. Get us going yeah. on a little hockey talk.
0: Well, Gretzky and anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, uh, it's funny. You know, we talked about what makes a good duo and, and obviously, I mean, hockey is a pretty good duo sport cause you play with line mates and, and there's, I mean, even currently there's dry and Nick David putting up monster numbers. But I mean, if you look back Gretzky, Gretzky played with a lot of really good players and, and, played on a lot of really good teams, but he's the greatest of all time. And, um, I think his probably number one compadre during his, during his heyday was Yari Curry. He was, Yari Curry was like a sharpshooter, you know, a sniper. Um, and they just won, they won so much back then. They won four cups and, uh, yeah, I mean and then and then as he went forward in his career a little bit, he he kinda of, I mean Messier was there and the two of them put up just gigantic numbers. I mean, we were talking about it before. It's like because if we wanna include other um duos, Lemieux and Yager, the three of them, Gretzky, Lemieux and Yager, are the only people that won scoring titles between nineteen eighty and nineteen and er, two thousand. Twenty years with three people winning the Art Ross every year is actually just heinous. You gotta think That's that actually insane. will never happen again. No, absolutely not. 20 years, three people, 20 seasons, three people winning the scoring title. That is outrageous. And, I mean, Gretzky could kind of do it with anyone, but Curry and Messier are probably his number one um, partnerships, if you will. Uh, Do you want to maybe talk about some more modern ones?
2: Yeah, a couple modern ones here. Um, Again, they don't have the history yet because most of them are still playing. But uh, when I was thinking about it, the one that came to my mind is Kane and Taves. Right? Yeah leading the chicago leading the the 2010 era of of hockey yeah fuck Uh, that the (laughs) blackhawks you know uh, sorry is that a tough year for you guys
0: tough 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 five years (laughs) or four (laughs) years
2: we'll get we'll get to your boys in a sec don't worry Yeah, yeah but kane and taves they they epitomized um the hockey duo back then both young guys both came into the league together um and i think they kind of had the different style you were mentioning when you're talking about a duo is like one does one thing one does another uh they're kind of similar but kane, uh, kane is the ultimate skill ultimate passer flashy dangles weird snipes and all that and taves is more of the grits and gravy leader you know he i remember that one stanley cup run he had that flip out in the penalty box yeah he he just I think that was his first year as captain. He flipped out in the penalty box, and Seabrook had to come over and chat with him. But I think it just showed that he played with so much emotion, and it was kind of like the emotion and then the showtime, is yeah. is the way I would describe uh, Taves and Kane. Obviously, ultimately successful three times, three cups together. Um, you can't argue with results, and they're still going strong. They're still young young yeah. men, so they're still in their early thirties uh another one here then this is kind of i would i would put these guys oh i together. hate this one as well <laughs> yeah you're not gonna like this one either it's getzlaff and perry um so obviously with the ducks they have huge numbers of points together um but i also want to mention them because of the team Canada success so yeah they were instrumental in team canada kind of renaissance and and getting back to winning gold medals again uh yeah 2010 and as 2014 hockey, right yeah as, as a young yeah. hockey fan in like 1996 and uh or you no know, 2006 and 2002 it's like these disappointments of
0: well uh, 2002 we won gold but 2006 was insanely disappointing right
2: 2002 no and 2099 99's the yeah, one yeah, i yeah. think nagano the, the nagano the one with
0: yeah the yeah and then hashtag. and then 2006 torino we got absolutely blasted that was the wackest olympic year of all time for us
2: yeah so Getzlaff and Perry and and Taves as well included in that kind of brought us out of the the gloomy era and uh they did win a cup together in 07 with the Ducks. Yeah, they beat us Gilles on the Yeah. So again another big combo. Um and kind of the third modern day combo even though it's not modern anymore. I'll let you take off here, Kev but I'll I'll, I'll mention their names. <laughs> Henrik and Daniel Sedin from the Vancouver Canucks.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were they were drafted together, played their entire career together. Um, I mean, legendary to watch. Honestly, for the first 10 years of their career, you're just like, yeah, these guys are awesome. They're our guys. They're so great. And then for their last, they were you were like, for their last chunk of time, eight, seven, eight seasons, you were like, okay, these guys are actually legends. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think maybe the only thing holding them back from going in the Hall of Fame is no cup, but... Um back- to back art ross trophies in eleven and twelve, which is actually bananas or ten eleven maybe and um yeah, just like the number one leaders they carried the team forward. they were the one two punch they were they were among the best players in the league for seven seasons in a row and um yeah, I was obviously happy to have them in in town <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, you mentioned that, yeah
2: incredible you mentioned the no cup as the as the barometer and we've been mentioning with like everybody all their victories and yeah it's sort of unfortunate that in sport that that's kind of what you're measured by um you know Stockton and Malone we mentioned in the basketball bit like 18 years together but they never won now same you, so you can't can get to that point exactly you can get to that point where you're remembered and I think them being twins is this is the special part like that what will always keep them in everyone's memory and right. just the things they could do together and like you got to think they had some sort of connection, meant telepathic connection, because some of the things you saw them do was like, H- how did you know he was there? Yeah, it, right? just, it almost
0: and, became it almost became normal to see that in a normal yeah. game for us as fans. You'd watch eighty two games and you'd just be like, yeah, there's another one. And but other t- other players didn't do didn't go like that. And they kind of reinvented yeah. a bunch of things. They like the cycle game became so hot because of them, and and then like the slingshot entry in the playoffs or sorry on the power play. That's just right. like people still call that the Sedine entry in the game today. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's cool. They were innovative and, and, um, yeah, I mean, obviously amazing players. And then, I mean, we actually had another one on the list as Lemieux and Yager. We already kind of talked about that, uh, in the Gretzky discussion, but, uh, those guys were absolute beasts And Lemieux's career, obviously cut short by injury. And, um, you can almost wonder what more he had in him. Again, I wasn't like a, Adult when he was dominating, mm-hmm. so I don't have that sort of feeling. But it, it just sort of felt like he he could challenge Gretzky, but it just never quite worked out for him.
2: Yeah, you know he was. A lot of people who watched him closely thought he was better than Gretzky. Um, there's probably some bias in that as well, um, but you know there's people that think Bobby Orr is the best player to ever play. Yeah, and that's why those three guys. And you could probably put Gordy Howe in that conversation as well, but those three guys Lemieux. Uh, Gretzky and Bobby Orr considered the top three, and it's unfortunate that for two of them, their careers weren't as long as they could have been, because we can't have like a statistical and and a true comparison of them. Um, So it can only be a hypothetical discussion, which might actually make it a better discussion because you can never just be like, "Well, stats say this is." Right. There's no definitive answer. Yeah. There's no definitive math, and I think that's what makes it an interesting conversation. Is you have different players, different sort of eras gretzky's kind of on the decline as lemieux is just tearing the league up with Yager. um these two definitely have the best flow of all the duels yeah. we've mentioned yeah in mullet the life is, is real the mullet life of hockey <laughs> if you want to watch some and if you ever want to watch a great hockey video look up yaromir yager's top 10 yeah um, on youtube and just watch some absolutely ridiculous dangles and he makes some people look real dumb so yeah uh that pair was great. Lemieux, he was special, and it's, it's a real shame that we didn't get to see the, the entirety of his career on the
0: ice. Yeah, I think the only... When we mention Olympics, I feel like we could throw in Haley Wickenizer, and honestly, it's, it's not like she had a, a crystal clear duo. I mean, she was like the top stud in the world for 15 years, but she played with Megan Augusta for a while and with Cassie Campbell. Cassie uh, Campbell. Now yeah, and, and Jana Hefford, who coaches now, I think. So, I yeah. mean, she had she had an assortment of uh, right hand women, but uh, probably that was just one of those situations where you had one of the greatest ever playing with someone else who was just you know good.
2: Yeah. She she definitely takes off the Haley Wickenheiser and anybody. Uh, as uh, yeah, you with a few players <laughs> yeah, exactly. in sport, but whoever was lined up with like, her, yeah, whoever you put on her, on her wings is is gonna put up some points and is yeah. gonna gonna benefit from her presence on the ice. So. Yeah yeah amazing um so that kind of wraps up the the major sports that we wanted to mention now being a team canada podcast here guys we have to kind of go into the ultimate realm a little bit um and mention a few people uh dynamic duos now i kind of wanted to mention two and then i was talking to kev about it he he had some ideas but here in toronto there's an iconic duo um, from you know the two thousand uh, that everyone knows, John and Andy, um, best friends through their years at McMaster and played goat together, uh, played Team Canada together a number of times. They just had a a knack for each other. Both huge guys, but in the six three six four realm. And I remember the year before I made goat. So this is two thousand seven. They kind of took. USA used by storm and just kind of like the way they played people just underestimated them and just those two together really surprised people and, and put put goat on the map i think at that time and that was kind of the start of the high level goat we have now so those two guys we always consider sort of them the founding fathers of of our elite club system here in toronto because of of what they brought and you know john retired a, a eight years ago, but Andy's still kicking around and still motivating us. So those are the two guys, uh, in Toronto.
0: And I mentioned a partnership, pure partnership. It just felt like John and Andy, John and Andy, best friends off the field, best friends on the field, you know, the cross, that's what it looked like from our, from our standpoint.
2: Yeah. So I mentioned a duo to Kev earlier and he kind of corrected me, but from our standpoint out here in the East coast, there was always the MG and Luggy are the two that we knew about from Vancouver now, Kev, maybe you take off here and and correct me and and tell yeah. me what the, the duo really looks like.
0: I mean, he probably. I mean, if we got Morgan on the pod, we, he'd he'd probably give his own take, cause he actually experienced more of the sort of um, more of that time. But uh, I guess growing up, growing up in the Vancouver climate, it, it almost felt like the the more noticeable duo was Luggy and Shank, just because of their personalities. I mean, I think MG. I mean, obviously MG's you know n- notably one of the best players of all time and t- is constantly in the discussion and um but it just sort of felt like it was shank and lucky's team if you or like shank and kirk they they used to be called pinky and the brain so that's like a duo right there but uh yeah i mean it was again I wasn't there, so it's tough to say. But, but for me, growing up, like Shank and Luggy were the two big personalities. They were like the thrower and the goal scorer, right? It was like Shank was a absolutely pure thrower. MG was just sort of a do it all. I mean, he right. he's in that category of like you can pair anyone with him, and he's makes them look good on either side of the disc. Um, for me, it was more like Shank and Luggy was the combo that was in charge of the team and emotionally was were the leaders. Um, especially Luggy, of course, uh, I mean, from anyone from Vancouver that spent time with him, like you can't be in a room with him without feeling like he's in charge of everything. <laughs> so right. he's one of those guys, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's cool to look back on those old furious teams and, and think of, think of, um, the sort of one, two punch and, and, kind of felt like they had a one two three four five punch <laughs> with savvy and uh and a few others as well so al bob i mean the again the results
2: of uh, three usau championships back in the early 2000s speak for themselves they had uh, quite the team so yeah uh, no doubt they were deep uh I would, the only reason i brought up mg and luggy is those are the kind of the the premier names we always heard about right I was still kind of in juniors, so it was like you kind of only heard the star names. There was no alti world. There was no yeah you know, alti village was just starting out, and they would be on the highlights. So you kind of assumed of like oh, those are yeah those are the guys. And so and I know when John went and played for Team Canada, he had a he had a good thing going with with them. So it was for always sure. the guys we'd hear about over here. So yeah yeah but th- those teams were stacked so you could probably pull a bunch of different duos well out that's of the those. thing and
0: it's like it's like mg is like a one key fits all type situation and luggy and shank are almost fit together more like a puzzle piece so anyway, you want to look at it a good duo
2: that's a very good analogy of of the duo complex here um so thinking about a couple other ultimate duos there's one that i i feel we have to say um i i hate to do it
0: reluctantly <laughs> Rel- reluctantly
2: because we've I think we've all played against these two gentlemen. Uh, We all have opinions on them, but it's going to be Kurt and Brody. I think they are like probably the most prominent duo ever, maybe, in Ultimate History. Yeah, Ashley Uh, and Bo,
0: actually. Now that we think about that, we didn't have them on the list, but that's like a thrower-receiver combo.
2: yeah. See, the reason that Kurt and Brody is, like, they kind of transcended Ultimate. You know, they did the Amazing Race thing together. True, true, true. Brody went and did his thing and, like, became famous for, kind of brought Ultimate a little bit more into the mainstream. It's true. You know, Kurt, hugely successful career with and without Brody. Uh, unfortunately, they did win a club championship in uh, 2012. We had the lead on them in the quarterfinals and For- blew it away in the second oh, yeah. half. Yeah.
0: And then they won together with Bravo in twenty fourteen as well.
2: They did win again with Bravo beating us in the semifinals. We had to- two chances to knock them off and not let them win. And both times they they blasted through us on their way to, right. to the championships. Um, but yeah, like successful players, they've they've done it all. Um, their bromance started down in Florida. Uh I think they won. Did they win two? College. Teams? They definitely won, won one. Yeah, they definitely won one. Th- they think they might have won. I can't remember. I was too young. Maybe maybe time. when
0: Tim Garrett was there and Brody was like a freshman or something.
2: Yeah. So those two guys, I mean, yeah, what can you say about them? One other one that I wanted to bring up and just more of a shout out for my my boys here. This is a a newer bromance that's forming. Um we brought a player over from the D-line to play O and he had an instant connection. Uh, so Cam and Carol is one that's kind of the C&C duo on our split stack. There you go. Uh, always throwing each other. They've, I mean the trust they have together cam gets it he just knows he can sling it and carol's gonna go get
0: it <laughs> helps so to have the fastest player alive <laughs> that's that's a nice one for
2: me a nice one for me to get pile up those hockey assists you know dish it over to cam he's gonna rip it to the end zone for carol <laughs> you know i'm like the third wheel of that bromance so uh i had to mention those <laughs> had to mention those two guys you got you got anyone we want to shout out kevin the ultimate world
0: no, I mean, I think we kind of covered it all, but uh, maybe it's as good a time as ever to throw it over to our, uh, our other dynamic duo in uh, Fred Lamb and Jackie Howe. So, um, yeah, we'll wrap up that discussion and, and send it over to our, uh, our interview with those guys. All right. Jackie Howe played for Union in the mixed division before making a GOAT in 2015. Jackie has three CUC gold medals. He played for the national team in 2016 and the beach national team in 2017 to accompany many seasons in the AUDL as a member of the Toronto Rush. Fred Lamb has distinguished career as a junior, played Blackfish before settling in full-time on Furious in 2015, where he served as a captain for three seasons. He played multiple U24 national teams and wore the Maple Leaf on the men's senior team in 2016. Together they are fracky. Boys, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thanks for having us. It's been, I guess, anticipated on my end after hearing everyone else go on and having their
2: interviews. (laughs) Well, guys, welcome. Welcome to the pod. It's great to have you guys. Um, So we're going to start off with this. You guys have both played on a bunch of different teams. Uh, Looking at the list and and what just just outlined, many different teams kind of leading up to your kind of final resting spots on on your club teams so just like what kind of like what was that journey like like getting to the top level um like jackie you played on union for a bunch of years so you kind of went the the co-ed route fred you went the kind of blackfish route and i'm not as familiar with the west coast but that's kind of like a, a team that's a bit outside of like you know, I mentioned on the last pod that you know Blair might have played for Fear or Blackfish and Kev's like, what no? Like he would never do that. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> you know, so a bit of a different route. Like, what kind of experiences did you get from those teams that that you've brought to your to your careers now? Jackie, why don't you leave?
3: Well, <clears throat> um, when I first started, I actually tried out for Zen, which is the Toronto B team. I uh, mixed in the mixing and i tried out didn't know what to expect i'm just like give it a shot my friends were like oh you tried out you're good yeah you'll definitely make union I'm like hey cool uh so i tried out for a union obviously but then i put both teams as like my selections didn't make sense i'm like ah screw it. it's not my thing ultimate because i used to be a competitive soccer player so then i'm just like okay didn't make it whatever let's move on go back to playing soccer but then one of my close friends at the time well still am but uh she told me, oh, don't give up. Uh, you have potential. Come play on the mix team with me out in Waterloo. I was like, okay, cool. Try it out. And uh, that was back in 2012. Played with that team for the year. It was fun. And then tried out for Union. Uh, sorry, tried out for Zen again next year in 2013. And then eventually made it to, made it onto Union, which was a shock for me. And then uh, played with them for 2013 in my first, like, competitive club organized um team uh eventually we made it to nationals and uh we made it all the way to finals and i was like really nervous because we were playing up against like old traffic and furious guys mixed and then from what i was told back in the day because i didn't know much about ultimate back then and they're like oh man these guys are sick oh man they're like used to be like Team Canada and the best players in the world and then all combined into one team now and I'm just like oh god I'm gonna get roasted so in the finals funny thing um, they gave me a matchup and my matchup was Andrew Lugson. and at that time I had no idea who he was so then my, my coach was like Warren he was like oh yeah just play him play him like you do practice it's fine you'll be great all right cool first point get roasted scores on me cool walk <laughs> <blocked> it off <laughs> Next point, uh, him and Andy Collins ran um, Classic on me, and Lugzan went deep again, and I was like, okay, anticipate the deep throw. Still roasts me deep, but it was kind of like a fully throw, so then I'm, I run back, and then I I got this nickname off this one play, and my nickname was Wristwatch, because when <laughs> the disc went up, I went up for the disc, and uh, Lugzan went at the same time, and he was about to grab it, and I reached with my off hand and I grabbed his wrist and the disc at the same time, and I got the D. But at that moment, I like Shh. I didn't really think I like grabbed his wrist while I went for the disc. So I'm like, okay, clean D, whatever. So I got the D and I just threw it right away and I just took off. And then Lexi was yelling at me the whole time after the like the the transition. And I'm just like going on O. And then same point, I uh, one of my spurs. Handler hugs it deep to me and lugs them on my back. I'm like, I'm gonna get roasted here. I get roofed out of my mind. <laughs> and Lugsden, before he does anything, he he has this intent before he throws it, looks at me and he's like, That's what you get for fucking cheating. <laughs> and throws it, and I'm like, Oh my god. <laughs> And I'm like, okay.
0: oh my god! Welcome.
2: <laughs> he I'm won't like, call the foul, oh, but he'll, he'll he'll chirp you next time he Oh yeah. my like, gosh. Oh my
3: goodness! And then they score the
2: point, whatever. Well, Jackie, then... I'm I'm just gonna jump in here. Like my first memory of you, I, it must have been around the same time. You came and played with us in a men's league at uh, at varsity, and like no one really knew who you were. You you came you came by. You must have been a fr- friends with somebody already. And the first thing I ever remember of you is you getting a layout D on John Hassel. So that's how, that's how Jackie burst onto the Toronto <laughs> scene here. Uh, I don't remember that, but sick.: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so back you got, to, the, you got John.:
3: Quick little thing, back to the lugs and stories. At the end of the game, uh, we eventually we won gold, my first gold, so excited, whatever. And then before the, the middle ceremony, again, I still don't know who this Andrew lugs and guy is. This at the before the medal ceremony, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna do the Canadian inducting a player to the Canadian Hall of Fame." I was like, "Okay, cool, that's sick." <laughs> and like, "Oh, Andrew Luxon. I'm like, "That's the guy!" Oh my god! And then he got inducted Hall of Fame. I'm like, I'm like applauding, like. And then at the end of the game, I walked over and I apologized. I'm like, I'm like sorry for what happened. I'm like, I'm new, as you can tell. <laughs> What's going on? And it's oh no, it's cool uh you're a young kid i could see it Good like, potential like a game she just walked off and then Dang. yeah uh and then the next year it was a, a club's qualifying year so i played with union again in the 2014 at um club worlds in italy which was really fun and then um at that time um sasha actually came up to me and said like, what are you doing playing mix like you should definitely play open And like i don't know i just don't think i'm good enough so i was "Like trust me you'll be fine and then try to for rush and then try to go that year and then just transition into open which was a different game for sure which i found uh my kind of game because it was more physical and coming from a competitive soccer background that's what i was used to so i'm not saying it's like brawl up there all the time but like I'm used to getting bumped and like me bumping people like people won't be like calling fouls like freaking out but um nah transition to open game really changed my game and like developed my game and my skill so that's kind of how I tr- transitioned throughout my career
2: how about you playing on uh black sheep i mean fish sorry a yeah, <laughs> <mistake, laughs> little mistake mistake there <laughs> uh, i thought it was thought it was
1: kind of funny how it seemed unusual because when i was growing up and going through the system i kind of thought that i took the most kind of conventional route to just play more frisbee so i started playing uh started playing frisbee pretty early on in high school and I guess the first kind of competitive team I played on, I actually played on with Kevvy, which was like a summer club team for high school kids um, called Crossfire. And
0: R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> big rip.
1: I feel like that final had to be like the biggest upset of like all time. It
0: felt like it.
1: Anyway, um, that team was pretty stacked and ended up losing – the final and it's like windy game, but um, so yeah. I think after high school ultimate, I just kind of like felt like a given. I'd go and play UBC, and my first year there was actually this kind of infamous year where UBC was bending the eligibility rules, and like half the roster were like these fifth year players from like all over the countries. Um, lots of furious guys. Like Coach Matty B what was it. A senior add-on um, as like Bobo John Norris and Loach came over after <laughs> long careers in UVic and they were all everyone was like you know really firing on all cylinders on furious that year as well so it was a r- real furious light roster and Dre was on that team I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of people but it was a pretty stacked like college team especially for a team in Canada um, I was a rookie on that team that year, and I knew, like, you know, I played with guys like Dre and um, Maddie and Bobo and them, and I was like, oh, well, wow, these guys are so good, and they're all furious. And I didn't really feel like I was necessarily at that level, but I wanted to continue to play frisbee, so it seemed like a pretty natural conclusion to play for like the only real other men's team at the time, which was Blackfish. I guess my first exposure to blackfish was probably like on those junior teams because we'd kind of play probably a flower bowl. And the only thing I really knew about blackfish, I was kind of thinking back to like my high school days or like like adult men because I was like a teen at that time. Adult men who would like pee like right beside the field (laughs) (laughs) and like get real like get real angry. Blackfish had a bit of a reputation back in the day for being pretty. Like, pretty angry bunch of dudes as well. Um, But I think, like, by the time, like, I kind of went on to play, there's, like, a few kind of holdovers from before. But it was a pretty young team and with a bit of a different identity. So it was – I thought it was, like, a good transition – transitioning into club from college and juniors experience. Um, There's a bunch of us, too, like myself and a bunch of the UBC guys who – Kind of felt like by my second year out in the team, so that would have been 2012. Like we had this like real younger sibling mentality where we were like, yeah, you know what, we're gonna like yeah, take one off furious, so like one of these days. It's coming soon. We kind of had a lot of confidence in our squad, and I guess there was like a lot of like young, like unrefined talent on the team. And going to CUC that year, we had a reasonable scrimmage against Furious, where we felt it was pretty close, making some plays. Um, so we had kind of big aspirations, but kind of like any of the teams with like talent, but not really much of a system, or not like great practice reps, we just kind of like unraveled towards the end of CEC, which is usually what Blackfish plays for. Um, so I kind of ended my two-year stint in with Blackfish. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It kind of like transitioned as a new player in the team. And then the year after, I was one of the captains of that team. Got some experience with that. And um, I guess in the background, like every year, like since I started playing with UBC, I just kept playing with them, kind of taking on bigger and bigger roles as the years went on as well, trying to rebuild that program since after that 2011 season, because everyone was like half the roster was like imports and then like the other like the rest of them were like all seniors and graduates I think there was only like five players left over in 2012 so we had a season where we held tryouts in 2012 and we cut one person from like the whole school everyone came to tryouts or there was only like 26 people or something at tryouts so thinking back, I can't really remember why we decided to cut the one dude. <laughs> savage. It was pretty savage in retrospect, but I think I was just like, oh, that guy's just hes just not good enough to play. Um, but, yeah, so that was kind of happening. And then, and then it just kind of like, the road just led me to Furious the next year. In 2013, they had this big influx of new players I kind of played... And didn't really have a great time. It was, like, a huge team, and it was, like – and I guess because there's, like, a bunch of players who had just come in and didn't really feel immediately like there was much of an identity. It was a big mishmash of, like, people who played for a while, you know, guys who – you know, guys like Oscar who've, like, really been there and kind of, like, done everything. Obviously, Morgan was there still until next year. <laughs> Um and uh and then a bunch of young guys and so it was like didn't really have that much of an identity and um didn't really seemed a little bit directionless. So um that was my first taste of furious. And then in twenty fourteen I actually didn't play. I just took the summer off of playing frisbee, I coached some juniors because I had some like school stuff going on in the summer and didn't really want to commit. So I took that time off and then then came back in 2015, although in 2015, I think that was my last, my second go around of the U 23 team, which was kind of like the biggest thing on my mind at the time. So came on, played with Furious. It's kind of like, I thought I was like more of a peripheral type player. Like I was not super, super invested in the team in itself. Um, just there to like, you know, I wanted to be a good teammate, but just really there to Get some reps and get ready for U twenty three, and then whatever happens after kind of happens. Um, but then we had the CUC final against you guys in Winnipeg, which was kind of like the first big thing we, like a bunch of us, did after coming back from Worlds in London, the U twenty three guys. And I don't know, it was a bit of a, it was a pretty good game. I, I think I was surprised at how CUC went in terms of like emotional investment into the team, and I feel like after that tournament kind of got me hooked and then I just kind of went all in on furious for the next few
2: years after that it it is kind of crazy you mentioned that how like because that was the year we won so that like that was big for us but I remember the time we lost four years prior to that that was like for me that was like I'm in like I just that can't happen again like I'm all in like you a loss like that like reinvests you almost into the yeah, process totally so I like, yeah, uh, <laughs> feel the same way like I'm sure everybody on this team is who you know both sides have experienced that now so
1: yeah it was a real surprise because I think I can admit it now like going in I well it's funny, because going in, I didn't actually have a great opinion about how good our, like, Furious was in 2015. I was like, kind of in my own mind, I was like, man, I think we're in for a rough tournament. Everyone thinks we're just going to like roll over people. And I think it's like we're kind of a little bit overconfident and didn't really have our finger on where things actually were at as a team. And it didn't really play out like that, although we did run into trouble against Strike, I think, in the semi. And it was, like, a pretty frustrating game. But the final really just, like, switched things around. And I was like, wow. I was like, damn. And, you know, having a heartbreaker like that and being able to be like, oh, yeah, you know, want to be there next time around when, you know, when this happens. And, you know, and it did.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. Fred, you mentioned that 2013 year you played. I mean, I know you you actually you went back to school and maybe didn't play the fall. Is that right? Uh, did you play the fun. whole fall?
1: Um, I did in
0: 2013. Made, yeah, because we made nationals in Texas.
1: Oh, no, I did. I did. I went to Texas. Yeah,
0: okay, so, okay, so this is 2013. Fred brings it up as being, like, a bit of a disjointed year, a bit of a mismatch. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was actually reflecting about that team recently. I mean, there were some, like, kind of dark years, like, 13, 14, and then 15 things were on the up, but we were, like, not that good yet. Um, 13 was insane, by the way. I, like, re-looked over the roster. I was, like, oh, my gosh. And, uh, Yeah, that year we were probably ranked. We went to like one tournament, got our ass kicked. We won CUC, but it was like eh, whatever at home on home soil. The field wasn't that strong. And then we went and we were probably ranked like 27th or something in in USAU, like probably our worst ranking in the last decade easily. And uh, we didn't have enough games to go to uh, like to go even make it into sectionals. So like we we were we were like. Yeah, and so we organized, like, Fred, I don't know if you remember this very well, but we organized, like, we what we call now, retroactively, the Voodoo Cup. So we, like, sanctioned four games against Voodoo in one day. We drove down to Seattle, and we played them four times. Four games to 11. The scores, 13-11, or sorry, or yeah, four games to 13 or something. 13-11, 11-13, 13-11, 11-13. I mean, I was there, so we definitely played all the games, but it was pretty fucking shady just to get our four games so we could play the series. <laughs> and then... That year, it was like we only had one bid, but then they like rechecked all the scores, and there was a photo from some tournament where Rhino actually lost a double-wide 13-9 instead of 13-7 or whatever it was, and it switched Rhino into 16th place, and they earned a bid. And then, oh. we, went, and then we went and played, and we beat Rhino twice at Regionals and went to Nationals. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. It did not feel like we deserved to be there. it's hilarious.
2: We we had some shenanigans a few years ago. It might not be the time to get into that.
0: Jackie <laughs> <laughs> knows what I'm talking oh, about. Oh yeah, I <laughs> got it, we, Jackie. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom.
2: We paid our price for that. For that, uh, yeah, we definitely did some shady stuff
0: a few years yeah. ago. <laughs> Yo, uh, Jackie, Jackie, I got one for you here. Um, yeah. I got to ask you about this. So in 2014, like we didn't, I guess, like my first introduction to you was funnily enough that you were on a t-shirt
3: <laughs> oh my god
0: <laughs> so there's like a, there's this photo of brendo uh like roofing jackie and then a bunch of the tfp people got it printed on own onto a t-shirt and they'd wear it around and i was like who is this poor soul getting actually <laughs> dunked on oh they're like oh that's jackie plays for union and i was like oh whatever you know and then sure enough uh, like the next year i'm like who the fuck's this jackie kid he's awesome like, he's, he's super good and, then, and and then they were like, "It's the same guy," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this guy." What yeah, was that? That, yeah, that was, was at like? Um.
3: Oh well, getting skied. No, 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 not getting
0: skied, but getting put on a t-shirt. <laughs> oh,
3: I was shocked because that was that was at Club Worlds, and I was on like the shuttle bus going back to the. I don't know how they got this made so quickly. No, I was on the shuttle bus in 2017 going back to the. Our hotels or whatever, our dorms. And this is like the first time I've seen it. And Megan O'Brien walks in with the t shirt on. And Brenda walks in behind her with the t shirt on. <laughs> and then they both see me sitting there. And then Brenda's like, hey, that's you. <laughs> I was like, that's me. <laughs> so we both just sit down beside each other. And then we they took a photo and then. Um, no, I felt great. I was like, because uh, after getting uh guys, I started getting to know some um, fierce guys, and they're like, oh yeah, Brendo's like one of the best players in in the air. Like, so don't be ashamed of getting skyed. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Run,
2: run us through that play. Like, what was the play? Where
3: was the play at? When did it happen? Um, how this to, was in, this was at Club World 2014, in Italy, and this was our, I believe, our game to go to um, get into quarters against TFP. And this is when Remy was on TFP and Horgan and um, right. Aaron and Aaron was on that team too. But um, I was guarding Brendo and then he was on the far sideline. This was on our home sideline. So I'm just like kind of like poaching off, trying to help deep. But then... Brown just took off and I didn't see it and then they just hugged it deep to Brendo. and then I got the inside position thought I had it but then he just completely roofed me I'm like okay cool and you can see in the picture where my hands up there and I'm just like oh my god this is happening and the thing was all the fears guys I believe were sitting on that end zone and I called a foul or something because he, like, came over my back, but it was clean. But I'm just, like, I got roofed. And I was, like,
2: The same face foul for her, Yeah, you
3: know, I was, like, Talk Fowl. about it, and then, nah, no foul. Yeah. And then and then Brennan was, like, yeah. And I'm just, like, and then all the guys on Fears was, like, boo. And I'm just, like, nah. <laughs> yeah, no they I bet you they didn't <laughs> give you a hard
2: time at all. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> they like, boo. They're, booing. There's, like, big noise in the background. And I look over, and they're, the Fears guys. And I'm, like, you know what? It wasn't a foul. So I'm just, like, whatever. And just walked off. But, yeah, that's how it went down. And then FIPA ended up winning that game. And I'm just like, oh, at least I'm on a poster. Well, <laughs> that, that's fine. <laughs> away from that.
2: Man, those could be uh, like a collector's item, Jack, yeah, in a few years, yeah. you know?
3: it worth millions. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, Fred, moving on to uh, some some national team stuff. You've been on a number of national teams, kind of at every single level. You have junior national team experience, two U24 experiences, a senior national team experience four years ago. Now you're on this squad. Like, what are some major differences when comparing playing club and playing in, like, worlds? Because, like, you've done it all sort of thing at every level. Yeah, I guess like well
1: one thing that is obvious, especially in retrospect, is well actually maybe not so obvious, but I guess as I was going through the teams, each team kind of felt like there's like an increased level of professionalism and preparation going kind of going up through the junior teams and then the national team. I felt like I think in twenty sixteen on the national team it definitely felt like, we were playing in, like, a, like we were taking it, like, seriously, like a real sport thing that we were going to do, and, like, everyone was bought in and, you know, doing the, their part in training, and, you know, other aspects of the game were, like, for the first time for me, it would really like, like, the whole team was looking at these things, like, off-field preparation. I was working with Mike for the first time, which was really great and really kind of opened my eyes to all the different aspects of training, which I'm still, you know, learning a lot about up to now. Um, but the reason why I'm not sure now is because I think Ultimate in general has kind of taken more of a step over time. Like, you know when I was on the first like U, U19 team, it was like 2010, I think Ultimate was just, you know, really transitioning more and more in the college scene has been developing now all like the college like good college teams are all like pretty dope now and you know they do a lot of stuff and you know very disciplined um so I think ultimates really come along but I think like the age has to do with it too you know people at every every time you get up to the next level you play with really the best players and guys who put the time in so I think that definitely rubs off as well. So I'd say like that professionalism piece is a really big piece. Um, I know like personally, one of the, the like beasts I kind of had with some previous junior teams, mostly like in retrospect is like, I feel like um, the big difference between clubs, especially the last few years we've had with furious where we've been able to foster a little bit more like cohesion and like getting everyone to buy in, kind of like doing stuff, logging stuff and all that stuff. Um there wasn't really as much of that on like a throw together, like the way Canadian national teams tend to work. I think especially at the junior level, you do have people kind of from everywhere and doesn't feel very doesn't always feel very cohesive until really like when the like the tournament comes around. Um so like previously it would feel kind of like you know, you the whole national team experience was this whole pre speculation you have a lot of people gossiping about like oh who's going to make this next iteration of whatever team and then then people gear up for the tryouts there's maybe a few surprises maybe not so like making the team is one big thing and then then sometimes it's kind of like pretty invisible until like, the tournament and then you just kind of like tune in to see like how like what the results actually like pan out into and you know I'm, not, I'm sure people individually like put in you know the work that they do And the preparation, but it just never really like felt like a real team wide, like team mission, like, especially in like, the preparation phase. Um, And that's what I appreciated a lot about the 2016 team is that it actually felt like people were preparing together. And I think this time around, you know, taking some lessons we've learned in the past, even a little bit more so. Um, That's a big difference between the national teams to me and club. Because in club, you know, you see people all the time, you practice and you train, you kind of have that. And, you know, depending on your particular iteration of that team and leadership and like the people on the team, you get more or less buy-in. And to me, I like really, that's what I really dig about team sports is like when a lot of people, you feel like everyone's on board, you know, people don't have to love each other. But I think like if if people know that everyone's taking it seriously, then you know it just kind of feels like you're doing something worthwhile as opposed to just spending three like three evenings a week or two evenings and like a weekend doing like practice for just like so just playing frisbee you feel like you're working which which is pretty dope so yeah i think that's kind of one big difference that i would cite between the two types of programs
0: sweet well jackie um it's been brought up a, a couple of times in the pod that, that you've been a perennial favorite for teammate of the year award. Um, what's your, what's your sort of mindset coming into games and practices tournaments um, that you think makes you um, a good teammate?
3: So the only one I go into, well, like, as a team, I know I'm going to see these guys or girls that um, probably like four or five times a week, maybe even six or seven, like who knows. but, but, these guys are pretty much my brothers their family. So that's how I normally treat them. Like how I treat my brother, how I treat my family. So like, even like that's how I go into practices, um, games, tournaments, road trips, all this stuff where like positive attitude, just happy guy. Just like trying to get these guys pumped up for practice. Cause I know not a lot of people like to go to practice, but like tournaments and games, road trips, all these, all this stuff guys are like, focus on the game, but sometimes they like to teeter off. So like I like to just remind everyone how important this is as a team and what we what we're here for. So like even outside the field where like we're at a bar, like I'll just I see how like guys are like communicate like playing at, at practice and stuff. I'm like, you know what, I'll just buy these guys all drinks. And then they're like, oh shit, Jackson i to do that. I'm like, nah man, you guys <laughs> deserve it. <laughs> and nice like style. I'm like yeah, I invite guys over to my house for like I'll cook them dinner, I'm, like we'll watch a hockey game. Whatever, basketball, whatever's on, football. And I was like, make wings, dinner, nachos, beers, just chilling. Just to get guys, like, get their minds off ultimate, to see what, like, appreciate life with, like, having you guys as friends. And same thing with, like, on the field, if anything happens, like, again, these guys, like, are my brothers. Like, I gotta, like, like if anything happens, I go defend them. Like, if I see a guy down, I run over, I'll pick them up, see if they're okay. Like, I'm probably one of the first or second people on the field every time. Someone goes down, and before I know what's going on, I'm just turning around and like, "Kev, Kev, come!" <laughs> like, I'll be waving like the medical staff, like, "Yo, come!" And then when we get there, nothing's really happening. I'm just cramping type of stuff, but you know who knows? Like, uh, that's how I pretty much have my mindset set to. Like, these guys are my family. Like, any sport I play, like, your team is always your family. Like, treat them the
2: way they should be treated what what people uh don't know jackie being one of the lighter guys on our team he's also the first one into any scrap that happens on the field um he uh he, he's quick to defend us and uh he got kicked out of a game in montreal once uh and after he was off the referee like did his little announcement they have like the mic pack like the nfl referee where they come <laughs> up like midfield and it's uh i don't know if you guys know frosted tips that's what we call this guy um and he, I think he said that 15 how ejected for assault. So there might have been a little bit lost in translation, but Jackie had her back and literally assaulted a guy and got kicked out of a game. Oh, no. so.
3: Okay. <laughs> but didn't assault. I
2: legit just pushed him. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was pretty innocuous play. Like in a club game, that would be like a little kerfuffle and then everyone would be fine. But right. You know, Dude, it's,
0: it's funny you say that because the other guy we've got on the line is pretty quick to get into scrap, too. He's <laughs> definitely definitely not quick to start one, but he's going to get involved. I remember um, we were playing against double wide Fred and you've you, you gotten that scrap with Dalton. I mean, I mean, there's no surprises there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, Dalton was giving it to Will and you could just see Fred just like finally boiled over it was like dalton called a travel on will and the disc came back and there was some arguing and then he threw the same throw for a goal again travel called again and you and then they were like really barking at each other and then he did the same thing again and then at that point like fred was just like so rattled like ran out and then they were barking everyone was like, oh my gosh but yeah quick, quick to defend quick to defend seems like a common theme
1: i think you might be misremembering that a little bit but i think the real highlight of that whole thing was it was a, a flick-huck, and Will's flick-hucks are, you know, they're not really that great. But <laughs> the first one was okay, travel, and then he just, like, he just did that thing where after a call, you just shoot the exact same shot. You did it three times in a row, and they were completions all three times. And then I think eventually the play went on, and then I just ended up picking up Dalton and subsequent points. And
0: you know, just, No, that's what it was, yeah.
1: I don't know. I just wanted to play him tight and give him a hard time, and. I don't know. Dalton's a real wiener, so...
2: <laughs> we heard... Uh, yeah, when, Cam, when Cam brought him up on that one episode, I heard that you were going to have a... You were going to agree with Cam on the, uh, the Dalton 8. He's just one of those guys that tries to, like,
1: you know, like, get away with stuff and pretend that he's, like, not doing anything wrong, but he's just super scummy. Um, yeah, but, you know, I don't know how the team dynamics are out East, but... I was out in Toronto for a week in earlier this year in February, and can definitely a hundred percent attest to Jackie's hospitality. He put me up on his couch for the whole week and you know the whole time I was there, he definitely made sure that I had everything I needed and more
2: so yeah, for sure that was a, it. that was a fun week when you're here and, and having said that, I'll leave this kind of right into the next question here um we all kind of became friends in 2016. I would say this kind of group of of team Canada, like that's kind of the first time most of us played together, but you two kind of immediately became like best friends on the team right away. Boom. Fracky is a thing. What? Ha- like how, ha- not what happened? I mean, everyone becomes friends, but like,
0: how the fuck how did that happen? <laughs> how did you guys
2: like immediately just become best friends and you're going across the country to see each other traveling? Like, you know it's great it's awesome we all love we all love the fracky bromance but like how did it come about give us the story how did it happen well i don't know we it saw exploded yeah
3: but um back in 2016 like you said um that is when we kind of like all started being close friends and um we both saw the roster and we're like man we're the only athletes on the team well, there was, like, Tim and Nate, but, like... But so we'll, we'll go into why Tim doesn't count in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that. I can talk about that one. And Nate's, like, half, so we're like, okay, whatever. But, no, no, we, 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 we got into our dorms, and, and Fred and I were, like, neighbors. And then we would just all, like, we'll just have, like, breakfast, lunch. Like, we'll just, like, go have, eat together. And we'd just be talking throughout the, our meals, or whatever. And next thing you know, we watch the same anime, and then we watch the same shows. So we just ended up just, I don't know, hanging out together a lot during the tournament, like after games and stuff, just <laughs> hanging out, watching anime, eating, and then I don't know. And then I just built our relationship to be every year. I would, like, we'd just be talking throughout the year, and then I would have some trips out to the west coast and I went to go see my family out there and then I'll shoot Fred a message like hey what are you doing let's go grab a drink or whatever catch up talk and then just stay connected and then that's how we are today yeah for
1: sure I think you know Jackie coming out to Vancouver seems like at least once a year definitely helps um you know we get to spend some time play not this last year but the year before Jackie invited me onto the Eliminates team, which is a tournament, like a fun tournament that happens here every I guess it happens like Canada. Day. Every canada Day, yeah. Um that was pretty fun. We ended up winning, so that was all good times. Um yeah, I mean I definitely give Jackie a lot of credit. I'm not I'm like in my own kind of personal life. I am not usually the person to like make sure I like go out and maintain connections because I tend to get lost in my little bubble, but Jackie Definitely good about reaching out, and you know, and, you know, as you described before, he's that guy to make sure that the people around him and his life are doing good. And I totally appreciate that. So, but yeah, I mean, I think in twenty sixteen it is hard to remember kind of what happened. But you know, people tend to be on the same wavelength about different things. And um you know, going down to Columbia was fun, and you know. Some of the more adventurous guys would often be out and about and, you know, exploring all of that Median had to offer. But I don't know, you just tend to fall in with the crew that's kind of like operating at whatever wavelength you're on, on those trips and you know, things, relationships build and you kind of, you know, talk about stuff and took off from there.
0: We'd, so what's yep. it like uh, playing against each other and the sort of furious goat rivalry when uh, you're obviously close friends, but you're playing on different club teams? What's that? I mean, we all kind of have to go through that in our own, our own way, but uh, as you guys as being you know, quite tight, what's that, what's that rivalry like? Well, to be like before a game, like I always go and say
3: hi to Fred, or like goof around a bit, and we just make our jokes. But like once the game starts, it's all business at that point. Like we're just fierce competitors, the both of us. And tummy sticks during the game? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, but, but we're in game. Like, it's kind of hard because we're both on the D line, so we don't really get to match up against each other much. But um, the odd time that we do, like, I feel like we just take it very seriously, play the game, and then post game, we'll just talk about the game and just have a laugh and then go on with our days. I think
1: definitely, like, Actually, building personal relationships with the guys on goat makes the whole experience a little bit more fun, because, like Jackie said, when it's games time, it doesn't like it doesn't matter who's on the other side. Actually, it's like no one that you like beating more than your buddy, to be honest. Mm-hmm.
3: So,
1: um, so it's definitely super easy to you know be dialed in maybe even more so, like one hundred percent focused in. You know, during the matchup, but you know, on the flip side, it was like definitely cool like club nats to like you know, in the in between times, you have a few guys on the team that you can you know, holler at or just check in with like, oh, how's your squad doing? Oh, not so great. And then us neither.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, amen, brother.
1: Yeah, it's like it's it's still. I do have a love hate relationship with goats, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, I love some of the guys, but I can't really love the
2: team. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. fair. <laughs> now, Fred, you were here and you said you mentioned here in February for a week in Toronto. Uh, you came out to craft uh, Beer Fest with us. Oh, yeah. now, gosh. <laughs> the reason I asked this question is because I don't really remember the end of the night. Now, you had a flight to catch. The so craft Beer Fest, for those that don't know, it's like an 11 to 5 p.m. event. So you're literally day like it's like prime day drinking downtown Toronto in February. It's cold. Everyone's wearing retro snowsuits. Fred, did you make your flight? Is what I want to know, because I don't remember.
1: I did. I didn't really have that much trouble. I think uh we went home after, even did we grab a bite to eat? Yeah, we
3: weekend? got we got some I believe we got some dumplings. Yeah, probably. Or like, uh, one or the other. Oh no, we I think we had. a bomby boys, dumplings? no? I don't know. We got something. It's one, of, one, of, one of the wide
1: ethnic fair in the Chinatown area. But, yeah, I think, you know, I had my stuff packed, so I did a little bit of prep work in advance. Just had to go back and grab my stuff and then got myself down to the station. Had a nice I, – I think it was like a, I almost missed the train maybe. Not too close, but I got the train, whatever the train is, it takes you right to the airport. Yep. Well. And then, the, yeah, and then it was smooth sailing from there. I mean, definitely knocked me out <laughs> drinking, drinking all morning. Maybe the cold air helped because I remember
3: I was freezing. It was cold. It was like, That's, it was cold. I told you it would be cold. Like, I'll give you a jacket and you're like, it's okay. I got my <laughs> scarf. I'm like, all right,
1: <laughs> a
0: West coaster.
1: <laughs> Cause it was yeah. like, it was like unseasonably warm that whole week leading up. So I came to Toronto the whole East Coast, and I only the heaviest thing that I packed was this fleece from Lululemon, and it was keeping me pretty warm like most of the time I was around. And then I feel like that Saturday was like pretty chilly. It was like starting to get cold again. Yeah, so it was like it's like yeah, and we're drinking, you know, shit ton of beer. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was dope. That was like something like I wish, or maybe there these things exist in Vancouver. I just don't get put in touch with it, but. It was a lot it was a lot of fun. Got to see a handful of the guys and some other Toronto Toronto dudes and went around sampling all these beers and you get these like dope like tokens you can just like toss in and yeah, that was a lot of fun. Definitely a great way to end a week long trip, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Yo, Jackie, I gotta ask, uh since since I have you on here, um when you visited last Vancouver uh when you came to Vancouver last, um maybe last summer or in the fall and you were saying that you were thinking about maybe coming across. I don't know if that's still on the agenda at all or if that's something that you're thinking about long-term. What was the, what's the update there? It was part of the agenda where I was job hunting out in the West coast.
3: And if I got a job offer, I would definitely just jump ship and just
0: right. Moving with Fred, moving with Fred. Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, but my aunt had two condos out in richmond she just bought a new place so she's like oh if you come out here this is this place is yours i'm like wow okay it's like 16 no, 1600 square you. feet i was Let's like all it. right sick <laughs> and i'm like that week well like i already had some like job interviews lined up but like once she told me that i instantly jumped on the internet and started like job hunting more but uh i didn't get the two jobs i applied for which sucked but um it's still in the back of my head my head like still applying go. Still applying, so hopefully in the long term I do Bit get of a the Tough job. time,
2: tough time right now. Like yeah, that? tough time right now for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah.
3: when this all this quarantine stuff clears up, hopefully things get back running, and hopefully get a job. And if I do out there, no questions. I'm just, I'm ready to pack up and just
0: wow, yeah. <laughs> definitive. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fred. Uh, earlier, earlier you mentioned uh, that. Um, you and you and Jackie sort of bonded over being the two Asian boys on the roster. Maybe you could, uh, you've always considered yourself a race lover and, uh, been, you know, never shy to put us in labels. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about your labeling system here as, uh, you know, as safely as we can.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So I do love races because I love people of all manner. Um, but it's actually, I think like, I was trying to think back, like when it started and it would have been around like 2016, like 2015, 2016. And I guess like mostly it's kind of centered around people I know. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of like a succinct way of describing it. And it kind of was born out of just like, it's like a articulation of my understanding of the different groups of people, like mostly like in the Frisbee scene. So, uh, not everyone has a label, and uh, um, and the labels necessarily need to include a whole bunch of people either. But it more more or less roughly boils down into ethnics and blancos with different variations in between. So I find since we talk about it more, the blancos are easiest to really characterize. So I think it was actually born the first people to ever get a label where. Kevvy, Dre, Miles, and Joel, like, Miles Sinclair, and Joel Belavance, um, and they were the four King Blancos, and just, like, kind of, like, four Kings and a deck of cards, and because <laughs> they, like, I feel like they have, like, a side chat that other people just, like, they were, like, the main figures, and, uh, other people would try to get into, like, Rumi, who's an ethereum, <laughs> um, <laughs> And they just had like, they're like, in my mind, they were like one distinct group of four people. And they're like, kind of like, at that time, it was like a couple of, a few years ago. So like some of the other, now Blancos are a bit younger. And so they kind of had their little crew of like Blanco underlings, guys like Malcolm (laughs) and Ben, maybe even, Um, but they were really like, kind of the characteristic four. And you know, they loved drinking beer, playing Euchre, White Chucks, playing Shaum with this, like, hand <laughs> thing. It's like, you know, there's just, like, things that they do. They like to go out. They like to like to go to White Spot, which is a restaurant chain <laughs> for all the East Coasters that exist out here in BC. Um, and, you know, do their thing and go to the Anza Club. It's another thing that Blancos love doing. <laughs> and so they're the Four Kings. There's been other people who... And mixed into the Blanco crew, like Malcolm. He used to be, I think he we used to call him a Blanco in training, but
3: yeah, that's what we called him in 2016. (laughs) And
1: because they're kind of like next in line to the the four Blanco thrones for all you fantasy lovers out there. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Respect, respect.
1: Um, But yeah, so some of the other characteristic groups that come to mind are ethnic Blancos. So there's only two people, it's Tim Sang and Rumi Tejpar. Partially because they both went to a prestigious private school out here in Vancouver called St. George's, and kind of had a very Blanco worldview, despite not being white themselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, people, you know, people would often like Jagos saying, "Oh, you know." Tim's a Blanco. i know like, Tim's not a Blanco. I mean, Tim's an ethnic. I said, like, no, no, Tim's not an ethnic. He's actually a Blanco. He's like a Blanco in disguise.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so it really is more about you as a person and not, you know, any other kind of distinguishing factor about you. But one of the things is, like, there's, like, a bunch of Blancos. There's ethnic Blancos, king Blancos in training. There's mama's Blancos, which – there's not really that many Mamas Blancos around in the scene anymore. And we used to have a few more, but these are the guys who are like, kind of like they re- observe the rules, probably have a good relationship with their mothers. Um, <laughs> listen to them.
3: <laughs>
1: and, and actually the really key feature of a Mamas Blanco is like, if you kind of think in your head, it's like you didn't want to do any planning for a trip, like say it's a Frisbee trip or otherwise, like he's a person that, if, if they were around you would know that you land in whatever airport you're in and they would know you know how to leave the airport and they would like have <laughs> thought about it before and that's a real blanco characteristic but yeah i think like there's a also a bunch of ethnics especially you know vancouver and toronto lots of different ethnicities represented but i was kind of thinking because like there's a bunch of people that we call ethnics out here now, you know, like, I guess myself and Jackie would be, but, like, Will, Peter Yu, for people who know him, and it's kind of like, it's just like, seems like a lot of people are called ethnics, and it's like, there aren't as many defining characteristics and similarities, but <laughs> I've thought of a couple in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, so instead of white spot, Bill like to go and have chinese food after often the real thing that brings all ethnics together is gossip (laughs) (laughs) nothing like an ethnic gossip like whatsapp chat um i just love that bubble tea obviously i think it's just it's not even that it's because it's like asian food it's just there's something about like i don't know it's kind of like The Frisbee equivalent here, like a professional going to Starbucks for a drink. It's just like instead of getting a (laughs) coffee, which is just like getting bubble tea at some point. Um, Being a little bit flaky is also another key characteristic. Sometimes you may not know if one of your fellow ethnics may or may not show up to whatever was planned. but yeah it was just kind of like uh it kind of goes back a little bit to I feel like how Jackie and I like initially became better friends like you just kind of like get groups of people in the squad that kind of have a bit of the same wavelength they like like similar things and you kind of get together and clump into these little groups and I feel like way back when my mind picked up that there's people that clumped in these little groups and they just gave them, gave them, I guess, these labels.
0: <laughs> yeah, for the record, for the record, Fred is the only one that actually uses these labels. <laughs> the rest of us just fall into them.
2: It's all in Fred's mind, this cloud yeah. of, of labeling. Oh, there's the Blancos. There's, there's, there.
0: uh,
1: I feel like it also became easier to like, endear people to like the the eccentricities of like the different groups it's like oh you know like don't worry that's just like the all right just like i don't even know what i'm trying to say here
0: it's fred breaking down racism one day at a time is what he's doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but i think i feel like it was like it was also kind of born at a time when there was like a little bit of a less like cohesion in the in like the furious kind of community like in this 20 i guess like the 2015 era so it was like part of the process i guess once i was stepped into a little bit more of a leadership role in furious going into 2016 like i think one of our projects myself and kevi and the other leaders is to try to figure out ways to bring like this group of people together and like part of doing that was to actually understand, like, you know, what, who we actually have in, in our group and figuring out ways to bring people together.
2: Demographic and psych- psychographic breakdown, man. You gotta, you gotta know your audience. Mm,
0: exactly. Sweet. Well, we're, uh, we're pretty stoked to have a couple of kings on the, on the pod today. Let's, uh, let's, push, let's push forward and maybe enter into the rats quick quiz. What do you think, Thompson?
2: Let's do it up. We've got some sweet questions here. We're going to do it a little differently this week because we got two guests on, on different coasts. So we got three questions each. They're not allowed to help each other because they should know their East Coast and West Coast teammates, but they're going to be judged as a unit, as fracking. So for the leaderboard, the esteemed leaderboard, you're a group. All right. Say no more.
0: Okay, let's do it. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, let's go West Coast uh, teammates here. This is for you, Jackie. Put your teammate uh, teammateness to the test. Um okay. Um Tim and Brendo both went to the same prestigious all-boys high school. Uh name that school.
3: It, Fred just said it too. Fred just
0: said
2: it. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as Fred said it, Kevin's eyes were just like, what? <laughs>
0: Spoilers.
3: I don't remember what you said.
0: Oh. Oh, Jackie, heart, a heartbreaker. <laughs> I had that one served up to you on a platter. I know. St. George's, St. George's. St. George's. Yeah, other other notables like from the 2016 team, Rumi and Miles both went to St. George's as well. So it's it's been turning out ultimate players for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two. Okay, this one's a tricky one. We're going to give you a little extra time to think about it, but do your best here. Six West Coast uh, rats wear single-digit jersey numbers for Team Canada this cycle. Name three of them and which numbers they wear.
3: Six. Six. Okay, Will do number one. Attaboy. Dre, number six. Well done.
2: There's There's a big one you're missing.
0: A really... Big one. Really big one. More again. Number eight. <laughs> ding 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 ding, ding. I'm there. I'm getting nice. Now
2: okay, you're, you got three. Can you get more? Playing with you're house six. money now, playing with house yeah.
0: money.
3: Um Robbie. Number.
0: You got it. Just don't Rob. say anything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs>
0: I said it. You you got it, Robbie. Number that's it. Number zero.
3: Zero. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, break.
0: What uh, we'll, we'll cap it. We'll time cap it there. But uh, yeah. Bayless wears number four, and for Team Canada, and Braden wearing number nine. Ugh. But nice work. That's good. That's a, that's a that's a correct answer. Okay. Uh, another jersey number one here for you, and we're using Lloyd as a West Coaster here because he's living in uh, Cali. Okay. Um, in 2016, he actually phoned me up and said he wanted me to wear number eighty nine for the um, 2016 cycle. What number did he wear instead, and why?
3: Oh, frick, I have gotta know this one. It's, you know she, she this wore He wore John Hassel's jersey. No, gotta, get,
0: gotta get the number, by get the number
3: Come on <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep up with this.
0: Giving you a give, give you a seven uh, second minutes. time limit here.
3: Break. I really hope it okay. 38. Effort, but...
0: Yes, well done. Oh, got oh. It.
3: Well, well done. He wore it because um that we won a hassle on the team that year, but he had injuries that he couldn't oblige. So he wore it in honor for John Hassle.
0: Dope. Yeah. You got it. Uh Thompson, oh, take it away. I'm All sweating. Right,
2: Fred, here we go. Moving on to the East Coast boys here. <laughs> All right. Okay, so this rat. He may be an all-around nice dude, but he's packing a black belt in karate. So watch out. Who is he?
1: Oh, my gosh. A black belt in karate.
0: That's incredible, by the way. When I read that, I was like, that is hype. Wow,
1: the karate kids are never the ones you expect. <laughs> exactly. It's probably not Mike because he kind of looks like he'd be in the Cobra Kai or whatever. <laughs> is. Yeah, he's definitely a Cobra <laughs> Um, who could
2: it be? Who is? I'm gonna okay, get the shock clock up okay. here.
0: It's not Carol, is
2: it? It's not Carol.
0: He's an all-around nice guy, though.
2: He's an all-around nice guy. <laughs> All right, it's uh, it was Brett. Brett Tan. Ah. Brett Tan Tan. Actually, okay. I, can, I can see that. Oh. So Kevi had a question uh, about himself. So there's someone on the team whose mother's maiden name is the same as my last name of McKnight. Hmm. What? So Jackie doesn't even know that this one's (laughs) on. This is just a funny fact. What an (laughs) orderly question. So whose mother shares a maiden name with yours truly of McKnight?
0: Okay. What's her first name?
2: So, Jack, you'll know Pam.
3: Pam.
2: Okay. Pam McKnight is the mother of which Team Canada member?
3: Hmm. (laughs)
2: Cruel. Cruel. This is a hard one. (laughs) This is a tough one. Just throw a
3: guess out. Honestly,
1: I don't know. I I was about to guess someone who I don't think it would be. So, and rule out guys like. Sometimes I feel like I actually need a roster in front of me so I can <laughs> actually remember.
0: Good tip for future guests.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I should probably rule out the Mackenzies. Um, who is left? Who's out there in Toronto? Hmm. <laughs> is it...
0: Here we go, Fred. I'm drawing a blank. You're on the shot clock.
1: Okay. I'm gonna guess Isaiah.
2: Nope, it was not Isaiah. It was a, this is sort of a trick question in itself. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's so Lloyd. gnarly. <laughs> so was Lloyd. Oh we count him as an east coaster for the East Coast half of the quiz. <laughs> His book <Gulf> coaster <laughs> I was actually going to say, like, Kevi had a question about Lloyd, and I was like, wait, that would give the answer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd's mom is uh, no relation to me, but we share the same last name. Oh. All right, final question here. This talented East Coast rat moonlights as a table maker specializing in live edge tables. I know, I know this one. This is Izzy.
0: Yay! Hey!
2: Well Let's done. Go.
0: Three out of six. Fracky, let's go. Yeah, that's 50%.
2: You're killing it, guys. I think you're top of the leaderboard.
1: Yeah, I actually learned that on my East Coast foray that Izzy was making furniture. Oh a little research wow, research didn't, trip.
0: Didn't learn anything about pancakes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <didn't>. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: just like it was like this person has to be
2: in Toronto or everyone knows their mom. <laughs> <laughs> well everyone knows Pam. I mean Lloyd doesn't stop talking about her, so
0: I mean would you qualify uh, Lloyd as a mama's blanco, Fred?
2: He's probably most definitely yeah for sure <laughs> like king mama's blanco
1: he, yeah he probably would be he's like literally what all mama's Blancos should aspire to be
2: <laughs> oh man amazing well, boys, it's been uh it's been such a fun time thank you for joining us here thanks on the rats in the house nice podcast us. um yeah it's, it's, it's our pleasure
0: thanks boys all right adios take care Bye. Goodbye. Yeah, See you All right. Well, that was Fred Lamb and Jackie Howe reporting in from opposite sides of the country. Um, Thompson, pretty cool to just hear uh, their sort of pathways to where they got, and and then of course the sort of genesis of their friendship, and um, yeah, just an overall cool cool listen c- connecting with those guys.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was great to chat with them and and hear how the bromance sort of fell into place and. And it's uh, it's just amazing that it's lasted so long and like they, it's a true, like you can tell they have a really great connection together and it was awesome to get to actually hang out with Fred here in Toronto for f- like almost a full week. Saw him a bunch of times, did some events as we talked about with them So it was really cool to hear kind of how it all began for those two. I um, would like to st- extend a great thank you to them for, for joining us for our uh, cross-country interview so as a first one of those, hopefully we'll be able to get more of those as our technical know-how and savviness increases. Uh, but until further ado, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy a little duos chat this week, all about duos and sports. And we'll catch you next week.
1: to your house this morning just a little after nine. could have been the Willie Nelson could have been the one so I'm at your house this morning just a little after Zimbabwe Cajun
2: I saw the constellations Reveal themselves One star at a time